You're listening to the podcast version of Unnecessary Roughness from LVSportsNetwork.com, brought to you by Porta Subs. It's Unnecessary Roughness, presented by the Jewelers of Las Vegas. I'm always chomping at the bit. I'm a football coach, competitive. So, I mean, there's the result, I mean, again, we got 17 opportunities, all this hard work each week throughout the year for 17 opportunities. I'm always chomping at the bit. That's what I do. I mean, that's what we do. We coach football. This is Unnecessary Roughness. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Here's your boy Q. And there you heard defensive coordinator Patrick Graham coming in, chomping at the bit to get back at it. Get his defense out there and show that what they put on wax, what they put out there on film on Sunday was not exactly who they are supposed to be. That was actually a question that I asked him for that exact reason. Uh, When you have a bad performance, when you have a bad game, when you do a bad show, when you do something that is below your standards as a person, as a team, as an organization, you want to get back out there or get back at it and do the very best that you can. I know that that's how I'm built, and I'm expecting that's how the Silver and Black are built, and especially that defense that knew what was coming from the Chicago Bears and still allowed it to happen at the pace of 173 yards on the ground. Deontay Foreman all of a sudden turned into a Pro Bowl running back, and not that he's a bad running back. I covered him when he was at the University of Texas. He's always been a good running back. He has a little bit of uh, work ethic issues. Uh, he's not the you know the hardest working cat in the building, but I mean he's he's a good serviceable back. But uh, made him look like a Pro Bowl back on Sunday as the Raiders lost to the Chicago Bears, dropping their overall record to three and four. So that was one of the questions that was asked to Patrick Graham earlier today. We also got an opportunity to talk to offensive coordinator Mick Lombardi. Uh, it was a handful of guys there today. It was kind of like a skeleton crew between Vinny Bonsignor, uh, myself, Adam Hill, and just a couple others. There wasn't too many there, so we had a few minutes, probably about fifteen minutes between the two guys combined. You'll hear some of that sound throughout the course of the show, but excited as always to be with you for the next three hours coming off the heels of JT The Brick Show. Definitely appreciate his efforts, and of course, that follows the morning tailgate, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. with Clay Baker, Lindsey Brown, and Vinny Bonsignora does a fantastic job. Coming up on the show today, the guests that we have, uh, excited about running it back one more time with Ed Graney from the Las Vegas Review Journal and also our sister station ESPN Las Vegas. And this is the caveat, a little bit of a, a asterisk. We're hoping that his phone is going to work. What we have narrowed it down to is that his phone, not the Oyo, but the, his phone was tripping uh, yesterday. And every time he got on a phone call, even after he talked to us, his phone would just go out. So his phone was uh, going through some issues. So we're going to effort him one more time coming up at 2.30 today as he was in Chicago for the Raiders and Bears. And he'll give us his thoughts of what he saw, what he, uh, you know, what he heard, what he was talking about in the locker room with multiple players. And obviously head coach Joshua Daniels following the game. So Ed Graney from our sister station ESPN Las Vegas and the Las Vegas Review Journal comes up at 2.30. At 3 o'clock, our normal guest on Tuesdays at 3 is John McClain, the Hall of Famer of Sports Radio 610. We get to scatter shoot across the NFL, and that's always a fun conversation. And uh, Week 7 is now officially in the books. The Minnesota Vikings picked up the victory of the 49ers on Monday Night Football. I was shocked about that, um, but they did it. They made it happen. San Francisco turned the ball over three times. Minnesota only turned it over once. Kirk Cousins dropped back the pass 45 times and did not get sacked one time by that 49ers pass rush, which really blew my mind. But uh, the Vikings kind of keep everything alive. They improved their overall record to 3-4, and four, and the Niners have now lost two in a row. And it's so funny, before we move on with the guest lineup, it's so funny how – Two, two, how two teams can have the exact same record and have a different feeling about themselves. The Raiders are sitting there at 3-4, and four and they feel like doo-doo. 
<laughs> right? Like, because coming off that bad game, like, okay, that was a bad one. Uh, that was a game that, that we let get by. Uh, that was a team that was very beatable. The Minnesota Vikings are sitting there at 3-4, and four, coming off a game where they beat a team that everyone expects to be one of the best in the league, if not the best in the league, and they feel great. Same record, different feeling. Strange how that thing happens, right? But that's exactly what it is. And, of course, we'll, uh, we'll talk about Minnesota and their 3-4 and four record as it pertains to the silver and black when we get into the opening drive. But John McClain will scatter shoot all things NFL coming up at 3 o'clock like he always does. At 3.30, Lincoln Kennedy, Raiders color commentator, former Raider offensive lineman. He'll join us as he always does on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 3.30. On Tuesdays, he recaps the, following, the, the past game, which is, of course, the loss to Chicago Bears. Then on Thursday, he'll preview the upcoming game, which will be that Monday night football game uh, with the Detroit Lions starting, well, ending week eight action. So uh, today we'll kind of recap, go back and look back at uh, what the Silver and Black failed to do on Sunday in Chicago. And also a hardcore Raider hit me up and wanted to ask about the offensive line. And I thought it was a really good question. And it's something that I've talked about a long time, a long time ago, because really I've seen the league shifting from what it used to be as far as offensive line and the way they block. A lot of teams in the league used to be the power blocking scheme. I always loved the power blocking scheme when the Raiders did it. I thought that that was their best skill set when they were the power blocking scheme. And then you started to see them shift to the zone blocking scheme. You can go all the way back to, like, Tom Cable when they started switching to the zone blocking scheme. I think maybe one of the last few times they really did the true power blocking scheme might have been all the way back to, like, Bill Callahan, right? It was a very long time ago. I'm sure Raider 66 could probably narrow it down to the exact date or the exact uh, you know exact year that they really kind of got away from the power blocking scheme but wanted to me to ask Lincoln kind of compare and contrast what the Raiders are doing as the offensive line the way they're blocking right now how is it different what is he seeing on film is it different from what they were doing last year and kind of talk about the you know the league going away from the power blocking scheme and I've talked to Lincoln about this before I was still in Texas when I did this I had a conversation with him and I asked him about the power blocking scheme and his Biggest explanation for it, for the way, reason why teams were going away from it, is because of the CBA, where you can't block the way that you used to block. You can't practice the way that you used to practice. So now, in practice, you've got to block to a zone as opposed to you know blocking man-on-man, -man, which is what you have to do to be able to practice the power blocking scheme. So that's what a lot of teams are doing now because of the CBA and the way that they're set up for practice and the way they're limited during practice. A lot of teams are doing – most teams are doing – the more, more of the zone blocking scheme than they are the power blocking scheme. But we'll get into that conversation. I think that's a hell of a conversation and a great uh, suggestion from Hardcore Raider, and I definitely appreciate him reaching out to ask me to, to, to make sure I pass that along and get into that conversation. So we'll do that at 3.30 with Lincoln Kennedy, the great Lincoln Kennedy, Raiders color commentator, and, of course, former Raider offensive lineman. And not to mention, we'll start off the whole conversation. Before we ask him any questions, we got to give him his flowers. Don't know if you saw, don't know if you followed Lincoln on Twitter or not, but uh, today, Washington football, which is his alma mater where he went to school at, they uh, tweeted out, congratulations to Lincoln Kennedy for being inducted to the Rose Bowl game Hall of Fame, hashtag Purple Rain. So before we get into anything X's and O's, we've got to give Lincoln Kennedy his flowers. That is awesome. He tweeted out, I'm humbled and honored. Thank you. Uh, I think that's really cool. Anytime that you could be in any Hall of Fame, <laughs> right, any Hall of Fame, you're doing something, and you're doing something pretty special. And we know how special of an offensive lineman Lincoln Kennedy was, and we know how, you know how much he's passionate about not only the silver and black, but just football, uh, being on the color commentary with Jason Horowitz, uh, as they call the Raider games. He calls college games as well, so he does just a fantastic job. So we definitely want to give Lincoln his, his flowers. And if you do follow him on Twitter, 
feel free to shoot him a note, man, at LKennedy72. Just say congrats, big fella. <laughs> right? I mean, he, he's not sitting on Twitter looking for congratulations, but it's okay to, you know, tip the cap to someone when they accomplish something like that. I think it's a really big deal. So that's all my tweet was earlier to him was just, hey, <laughs> congratulations, Big Link. Like, that's awesome, man. You're going to any kind of Hall of Fame. I'd be so honored to go into any kind of Hall of Fame, even like the Hall of Fame of bad radio shows. <laughs> if it's a Hall of Fame, I'll take it, right? <laughs> it still sounds cool, <laughs> right? Whatever it is, <laughs> I'm willing to go into it, man. I'm, I'm all here for it. So, uh, yeah, I think that that's, that's great. So we'll talk to Lincoln Kennedy coming up at 3.30. At 4.30, Coach, Coach Brett Browner from Bishop Gorman High School. He'll join the show. Tom Flores, High School Football Coach of the Week Award recipient. Bishop Gorman, no surprise, 10-0. Bishop Gorman, no surprise, number one seed in 5A as the playoffs get rolling. Uh, Bishop Gorman, no surprise, has a bye week this week, doesn't play until November 3rd. But they've got big aspirations, and they got big goals, and they've got big expectations each and every year. We know that. That's who Bishop Gorman is. That's why there's a lot of guys from Bishop Gorman in the league are playing college ball right now. But uh, he is a Tom Flores High School football Coach of the Week award recipient. They beat Coronado 49-7. to They beat the brakes off of them, and that's how they got the number one seed. And so that's a huge accomplishment. They win the Tom Flores High School football, or he wins the Tom Flores High School football Coach of the Week award. But I know that's really a program-type thing. So we'll talk to Coach Brett Browner from Bishop Gorman High School coming up at 4.30, talk about the accomplishment, talk about the season, and, oh, by the way, the expectations. Their goals are to be playing in Allegiant Stadium at the last game of the year, which is a state championship game. And tip the cap to Allegiant Stadium, right? I mean, I've been there the last couple years when they had the state championship games. I've seen Bishop Gorman play there and win championships there the last couple years. It's awesome when a high school kid could go into an NFL stadium and play for the state championship. And all my time in Texas, got a lot of an opportunity to walk the sidelines and, and, and actually work those games right there in Jerry's world. And it was funny, one time I went out for the coin toss. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember what school it was. Yeah, I can't remember what school it was that I was doing the sideline. It wasn't Temple. Temple didn't make it to the state championship game. But it was another school that we had just picked up along the way. So I was doing the sidelines for it. So during the coin toss, they say go out to the middle of the field so you can, you know, get the – you can hear the flip and all that good stuff. So I do that, and my buddy John, John Smith, as a matter of fact – oh, Crawford. That's – duh. It was Crawford. John Smith is from Crawford. There you go. So <laughs> it was Crawford High School. They were playing in the game. So he's at the game watching, you know, his family and friends playing the state championship game – and because the cameras are on the middle of the field, you look up at that huge jumbotron and you see my big mug. <laughs> you see me with a headset on, a microphone in my hand on that big old jumbotron in Jerry's world, and that's when you know it's real, right? <laughs> so you think about some kids that, you know, they a couple of them may go to college as far as, like, playing football in college. A couple of them may go on and do some great things, like, in the league at best. But most likely, that's the last opportunity that these guys are going to have to play inside of a, 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 a NFL stadium is in that state championship game. And I'll tell you, every single player, even the teams that lose, they're so honored to be there. So I thought that that was awesome that the last couple of years they've played the state championship games in Allegiant Stadium, giving kids here that opportunity to experience that as well. Now, again, guys from Bishop Gorman, they all think they're going to the league, <laughs> right, because they're that stinking good. And a lot of them do go D1, like the branches, right? Zachariah Branch is a true freshman, is killing it for USC right now. I was watching USC over the weekend, and they lost to Utah. But every time Utah went to kick the ball off and number one was back there, all I kept telling the wife is, don't kick it to him. Don't kick it to him. And then they kicked it to him. I said, well, there goes that man. Mama, there goes that man because that's a bad dude. Man, as a true freshman, that dude has already established himself as a big-time weapon in college football. And I don't want to put the cart for, before the horse, but he's got some big-time – 
He's 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 got some, uh, some some big things he's going to be doing. Let's put it like that. He's going to be doing some really big things in uh, in college football. He stays healthy. He is going to be a problem. And again, he's only a true freshman. And I know USC is not having the season that they wanted to have. They've lost a couple games, a couple tough ones, including the one to Utah. But that's a bad bad dude. And his de- his brother plays obviously on the defensive side of things, and his. His uh, uncle, the late great Cliff Branch. So always following the branches to see what they're doing. But, yeah, if you haven't watched too much uh, USC football, make sure you watch out for Zachariah Branch. Again, that's a bad, bad dude. So Coach Brent Browner, Bishop Gorman head coach, will join us at 4.30, talk about being the recipient of the Tom Flores High School Football Coach of the Week Award. So we got a lot of guests on the show, as you could tell. We do each and every day. Always take a lot of pride in the guests that we have. Ed Graney at 2.30, John McClain at 3, Lincoln Kennedy at 3.30, and Coach Brent Browner at 4.30. You'll also hear from Patrick Graham and Mick Lombardi, defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator, and also our guy Danny went to the parade last night for the Aces and got some really good sound for us. Got some sound from Mark Davis, got some sound from Asia Wilson, uh, Becky Hammond. We're going to try to get that in the show as well. I don't know where. (laughs) I really don't because we don't have a big window of opportunity, but we're going to try to get it in. If we don't get it in today, we'll definitely get it in tomorrow. We'll be talking Aces and UNLV with Paloma Villacana joins the show each and every Wednesday. So if we don't get to the Aces sound from the parade today, we'll do it on tomorrow's show as we start to turn the corner as well and start looking towards the Detroit Lions in week eight action. But we're going to try to get it in on the show. And of course, throughout the course of the show, we want to hear from you on the don'tbebroke.com text line at 69187, keyword R&R. Again, it's the don'tbebroke.com text line, 69187, keyword R&R. With that being said, let's go ahead and jump into the opening drive. The opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. is brought to you by Paul Padalaw. It's not about the injury. It's about the recovery. Before we get into any question that I have out there for you to hit us up on the dobebroke.com text line and let us know about, Alan already hit us up and said, hey, just want to holler at our boys, Q and Ari, good question with Pat Graham. Have a great day. And that's going back to the question about chomping at the bit to get back out there because, well, you got to get back out there, right? You got to get up on that horse and you got to ride that thing again after a loss like that. Uh, Again, most professional organizations, players in general, uh, if you put something bad out there on wax, you want to go ahead and clean that up. So the Raiders have an opportunity to clean it up. They'll get back to work tomorrow on the practice field. But a couple questions that I have, and I'd like to bring a couple topics to the table each and every day. I mentioned the Minnesota Vikings and the fact that they won last night over the San Francisco 49ers and proved to 3-4, and four, which is the exact same record that the Raiders have. But I feel like they're two different like, they're all not created equal. Their 3-4 and four is not the same as the Raiders 3-4. and four. And What I mean by that is I believed that the Minnesota Vikings were going to be sellers at the trade deadline, which comes up next Tuesday. I thought that they were going to lose that game to San Francisco last night. They were going to drop to 2-5, and five, and all of a sudden a guy like Daniel Hunter could be on his way out. Maybe a team that's desperate for a quarterback could be asking for, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins, even though he has a no-trade clause. Maybe there's another player on that team that – you know, maybe they may be interested in moving on. I thought that they for sure would be sellers with a loss to San Francisco. Now they have not lost. They're at three and four, and they feel like they're still in the thick of things, you know, because they really are in a division that is really up in the air outside of Detroit playing the way that they're playing. The rest of the division is really up in the air, and there's a lot of three-win teams across the league, which you can say the same thing for the Raiders, but it just feels different. Right, The 3-4 and four that the Raiders have feels different, especially coming off a game where they lost to a team that they should have beat. Knowing now that they're about to get into the real teeth of their schedule, they got to take it one game at a time. Anything could happen on any given Sunday, Monday, Thursday, whatever the case may be. But it just feels a little bit different. So I ask you the question, with the Raiders losing on Sunday to the Bears, how does that affect or change their approach at the trade deadline, in your opinion? 
All right, so how does the, that loss to the Bears change the Raiders' approach to the trade deadline, which is Tuesday, Halloween, October 31st, in your opinion? And also, part B of this, what trade or trades would you make for the Raiders to improve the team long term? And what I mean by that, and we've talked about the trade deadline before, but what I mean by that is either trading for a player or trading a player away from the team to try to build the team up for the long-term success. What would you do? What would the approach be? How would things change now that the Raiders are sitting there at 3-4 and four after losing to Chicago, knowing they have Detroit coming up on Monday? And, again, the trade deadline is Tuesday, so there's not a whole long time. Uh, you know, I always say you study long, you study wrong. Don't really have a long time to study. Right, you got to make a decision. Of course, Dave Ziegler and company have already been scouring through rosters in the, in, in the NFL, thinking about what could be available, what's not available, whatever the case may be. But they're, you know, they, they, they got it out there, and, and, and who knows? And I think that the, the, the easy answer is to say, well, I trade Hunter Renfro. They're not using him anyway. But I don't even know what you'd get for Hunter, right? I mean, they haven't showcased him. It's not like they put him out there like he's you know, wide receiver one or anything. So I don't even know what you can get for him if you were trying to do that. But I just want to hear from you. Uh, what would you know? How does that affect the Raiders losing? How does that affect or change their approach at the trade deadline coming up on Tuesday? And what trade or trades would you make for the Raiders to improve the team long term? So that really, I think, is is the more difficult question uh, that there is. You know, how would you try to affect this team, improve this team? Obviously, you've got to try to uh, make the talent on this roster a lot more than it is right now. And I know that that's the job of Dave Ziegler and company is to get. That figured out, you know, what does that look like? What does the, you know, what is the talent on the roster? Is it enough to go out there and be a competitive team with who they want to compete with? And it's funny, you know, I do the Locked On Raiders podcast uh, on the daily. And for anyone who doesn't know, you know, that I do. And so uh, they're kind of going over an exercise right now for the 2023 NFL trade. And what they did is they put out anybody who's a host, they threw out what, what players they think would be available for trade. And so us as other hosts of the teams, we're kind of looking at it like, okay, well, if that player is available, who may I be interested in? Who may I not be interested in? So, for example, as I'm looking at the spreadsheet right now, the Saints have put out, made some players available. The Patriots have made some players available. The Vikings made a player available. The Commanders made a handful of players. The Bears made a couple. The Seahawks, the Eagles, and I made a couple. And I'll, I'll just say the couple I put out there was Hunter Renfro, obviously. And then I just, just for S's and giggles, I threw Devontae Adams out there, but I put him in big asterisks, like not going to happen unless there's a massive a massive haul in return. Like, that's the only way. Like, I would have to be overwhelmed to be able to say, yeah, I'm going to pull the trigger on that. But you got to put it out there anyway just in case someone comes with some crazy, some crazy uh, you know, offer or something like that. Then you consider it. So I just threw it out there you know, as bait to see if there's anyone who's willing to, to latch on. But, again, as I wrote in asterisks on, on, the, on the spreadsheet, not likely going to happen. You'd really have to wow me, <laughs> right? And I think that that's what the Raiders – I don't think by any means that Devontae's on his way anywhere. They're going to trade him at all. You know, the report already came out that they weren't. But, you know, you've got to listen. I always say whenever someone calls, you pick up the phone and listen, right? I, that happens to me all the time when it comes to job offers. People call, hey, I just want to talk to you about this. Hey, I'm not interested in a job, but I'll listen, right? I mean, that's, that's the – you're always supposed to do that. That's responsible. Just being responsible because you never know what that conversation could turn into, and you don't want to burn a bridge either. So, you know, you always pick up the phone and listen. doesn't mean that you have to say yes. You just have to listen to see what they're trying to offer. So those are the two that I put out there with Hunter Renfro being most likely. But honestly, what could you get back in return for Hunter? Like a sixth? Like maybe? Well, he was a fifth-round pick to begin with. 
I had someone hit me up and say, hey, would the Raiders take Derek Carr back uh, for a first-round pick? And I was like, he wasn't even a first-round pick when he was drafted. <laughs> how, how, how is he going to get a, a, be a first-round pick now? He wasn't even a first-round pick when he was drafted. And no, I don't think, that, uh, I don't think the Raiders want to go there, right? If they wanted to go there, they kept him around. So, you know, but it's, it's, it's just people trying to, trying to grasp for answers. So those are the questions that I throw out there to you. 69187, keyword R&R, and, you know, let me know what you think about the, the trade deadline, how the loss to the Bears affects the Raiders' approach to it, and if there was a move out there that you could make, what would it be, all right, to try to, to, try to make the team better, you know, for the, for the long term, not just the, the immediate, you know, 10 games that are left in the season, but for the long term. So for me, I think it does affect it. I, I don't think – I think that the loss to the Bears – takes them out of the possibility of going and making a move for a guy. And that's kind of unfortunate because I, I had three guys on my list that I was looking at. And I, I'm looking at this spreadsheet of guys that have made available. And it's funny that there's, there's guys on this list that kind of line up with what I was thinking. And all three of the guys I looked at were all on the defensive side of things. They have a couple offensive linemen that are available, like the Saints. Andrews Pete, he's available, according to Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints. And then uh, Michael Onwenu uh, from the Patriots. Uh, he's available the offensive tackle. Those two are, are available offensive linemen. But those are the only ones. Out of all these teams that I talked about, those are the two only offensive linemen that could be available, one from the Saints and one from, uh, uh, from the Patriots. Of course, Michael DeBate is the one who covers the Patriots, and he's the one who put uh, on Wenu out there. But the three guys that I was looking at that I would be really interested in, and if the Raiders had won that game and improved to 4-3, and three, I would have had no problem. And I still kind of have no problem because these could be long-term solutions. You just have to give these guys contract extensions. I'm looking at Washington first for Chase Young or Montez Sweat. Chase Young has a sexier name because it's Chase Young, but he's not as healthy as Montez Sweat is, right? Chase Young has been injured more times than not, but he's having a hell of a season. And Montez Sweat is having a hell of a season as well. Like one of those two guys is probably going to be out of there in D.C., right, for, for more reasons than not. They both need a contract extension. They both have the same agent. Uh, they're both going to want a lot of money, and Washington already has a ton of money invested in their defensive line. So I do think one of those two guys could be had at the trade deadline, and I would have had no, no problem, and really still don't, because I think that they could be a hell of additions to the Raiders' defense, Chase Young or Montez Sweat. I like that. And then the last guy that I'm looking at is, uh, is the cornerback that just torched the Raiders on Sunday. That's Jalen Johnson. And I think that, unfortunately, with the, with the performance he put in on, uh, on, on Sunday against the Raiders – I think the Bears are rethinking the even having him out there, right? Even putting him out there. And I remember having Courtney Cronin on the show uh, last week previewing the Bears, and I asked her if there was anybody that was made available. And she said, they've told me Jalen Johnson's available, but they also have been banged up at the corner position, and he's actually a pretty good player, so I'm surprised that they'd move on from him. And then all of a sudden he goes out there and puts the performance that he did against the Raiders. So I'm thinking that they're probably going to say, you know what, let's go ahead and, and focus in on maybe – possibly going ahead and, uh, and giving him a contract extension instead of, instead of ready to, to trade. But I would, I would love it. That, I think that that would be a hell of an addition. I like Jalen Johnson when he was coming out of Fresno State. I thought the Bears got a, a hell of a player when they did get him. And if he was made available, uh, if the price is right, obviously you don't want to go overspend, right? I'm not saying go crazy and just throw all kind of draft capital at these guys. But if the price is right, Again, all three guys that I just mentioned, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, and Jalen Johnson, all need contract extensions. So you got to keep that in mind. You have to know that if you trade for them, they're all in the last year of their deal. You do not want to get into free agency and then all of a sudden have to be stuck and maybe use a, uh, a franchise tag to hold on to them or panic and try to get it done before they, the free agency actually opens up, like the last second before a free agency opens up. 
when if they if they were to trade for him, the best idea, in my opinion, would to be exactly do what Dave Ziegler and company did when they traded for Devontae Adams. As soon as they traded for him, they gave him a contract extension. Right? Before he ever stepped foot into the facility, it was like, all right, this is the this is the contract that we're gonna give you. Boom. That's the way to do it, in my opinion. I've seen other teams go out there and do it. Uh, Laramie Tunsil was traded from the Miami Dolphins to the Houston Texans, and Houston, they played with their food, and they decided not to give him a contract extension for a while, and then all of a sudden it got a little ugly. Now, they eventually got it done, but it, it, it got a little tight, right? They started sweating around the collar a little bit uh, when it came to getting that deal done. So uh, the, I think, again, best idea is to go ahead and get it done, if you're going to get it done uh, right away as soon as you make that trade. So those are the three guys that I'm looking at that I would have loved to see them make a move for, but I really do feel like with that loss to the Bears on Sunday, that really changes Dave Ziegler and company's approach to what this trade deadline could be. And now, if anything, they may stand pat and not do anything, or if they do do anything, it may be moving on from a guy that they're not using anyway in Hunter Renfro, which is, is a shame. I, mean, I know we're seven weeks into this, but it's still a shame that they haven't figured out a way to use a guy that's as good as him. Right? I mean, for him to get a couple catches in garbage time on Sunday against the Bears, knowing that their offense was anemic, that, that, I mean, that just makes me scratch my head right there. Like, what the hell? You know, you, you can never have too much talent. When you have it, you got to use it, and, and it's there. It's not like he forgot how to catch the ball. It's not like he forgot how to run routes. It's not how, like he forgot how to get in the end zone. He didn't, right? I, I just – I don't – that's one of those things. I asked Coach McDaniels about disconnects when it came to the red zone. That's another thing that's like a disconnect for me. Like how is there how, – how is there like a non-understanding of, of who Hunter Renfro is and why he, you know, is not being used in this Raiders offense? It just baffles me. It blows my mind. But, again, if they're not going to use him, they might as well go ahead and get something for him if, if it's worth the salt and, and feel like, okay, you can help improve the team – a little bit later on. So that's the question I throw out there. Again, don'tbebroke.com, text line 69187, keyword R&R. With the Raiders losing to the Bears on Sunday, how does that affect or change the approach of the trade deadline? And is there a trade or two out there that you would make to help to improve the team and their talent for the long haul? Either trading a player in, bringing a player in, or trading a player out. Let me know your thoughts. Again, 69187, keyword R&R. Coming up next, Ed Graney from the Las Vegas Review-Journal, ESPN Las Vegas. This is Red Nation Radio 920. That was the opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Brought to you by Paul Padilla. It's not about the injury. It's about the recovery. This podcast version of Unnecessary Roughness on LVSportsNetwork.com is brought to you by Porta Subs. Make sure you check out Porta Subs' six-foot party trays. They're perfect for game days. You'll get your choice of three made-to-order classic subs made with premium meats and cheese on your choice of fresh-baked bread. Loaded with fresh veggies, toppings, and sauces. Game day six-foot trays serve 12 to 16 people so you can sit back and enjoy the game. Available at all Las Vegas area Porta Subs, neighborhood sandwich shops, order ahead at portasubs.com. Ultimately, Mark Davis is the one who calls the shots. He's the one who's got to think about the future of the organization. And if he orders him to go and get the best that he can for Devontae Adams, that's his job. And he can go get a first-round pick and make them better. uh, First-round pick plus, I believe, and make them better for the long term. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. That was ESPN's Chris Carlin, Carlin vs. Joe. You can hear that on our sister station, ESPN Las Vegas. He was talking about the trade deadline, and uh, if the Raiders were to want to 
go out there and throw Devontae Adams out there as a name that's possibly a, a, a guy that's obtainable by the trade deadline, they could probably get a first-round pick and some for him. So would it be worth it? I don't think so. I don't think he's going anywhere. But at the same time, it's something that you have to throw out there as I threw it out there in my little trade scenario as well. Again, you throw it out there and you see what teams bite and if a team bites. And if they do, then obviously you consider it for the good of the team, not for the good of the individual. This is Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Speaking of the trade deadline, I threw the question out there. With the Raiders losing to the Bears on Sunday, how does that affect or change their approach at the trade deadline? I think that they're not going to be buyers at all. If anything, they'd be sellers, and I'm just looking at Hunter Renfro at most, and I really don't think you can get a whole lot for him. We got a text from the 209 on the don'tbebroke.com text line at 69187, keyword R&R. What up, Q? I'm with you. I'm thinking any trade that is out the window after the Bears lost, but I think I'd try and get Chase Young. Hopefully he can stay healthy, but it's also why you might get a deal with him because of his health. Ideally, if we can get Kirk Cousins, that'd be awesome, but no way that's happening. LOL, that's from the 209, and Kirk Cousins has a no-trade clause, so he'd have to approve of that. And uh, one more from Glenn in San Jose that we'll get to Ed Graney. He said, what up, Q and Ari? The way things are right now, what player would even agree to come to the Raiders right now? The level of dysfunction is way too high right now, and I can see a player straight up vetoing a trade to Vegas at this point. And, Glenn, thanks for the text. There's been many that have tried, right? You can think about Richard Seymour. He wasn't happy. Hell, you can think about Eric Allen. Eric Allen didn't want to report to the Raiders when he first was traded there. There's a lot of players that don't want to report to their team that they're originally traded to, and then eventually they do because the almighty dollar always prevails. Join us now on the phone lines from our sister station, ESPN Las Vegas and the Las Vegas Review Journal is Ed Graney. And Ed, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate you. We'll start right there. I want to get to the game that you witnessed in Chicago, but we'll start right there with the trade deadline. It's Tuesday. It's Halloween. With the Raiders losing to the Bears, do you think that that changes their approach to the trade deadline? Or what what do you think that they do by the 31st? I mean, I think it should change their approach, right? If you saw how they played and, and how they looked, um, I don't think there'll be buyers. I'm with you, Q. Uh, uh, you know, we've heard about Renfro since the beginning of the season, right? But mm-hmm. you, you said it best. Like, what would you get for Hunter Renfro right now? Um, right. I mean, could you get a fifth? Could you get a sixth? I, I don't know what you'd get for Hunter Renfro right now. Right. Um, they still might move him, though, um, to get something for him and, and not to where it's absolutely nothing. But I do think they'd be sellers. Um, and I do think, you know, that game showed a lot in terms of where they are as a team right now. I know Josh uh, spoke about it yesterday about how you know how much they have to fix and how how much is you know even even in the games even in the games they won they struggled um, and they you know I mean I thought Adam Hill made a good point in the paper today I mean you know uh, Green Bay completes that pass New England I mean Q the record could be really bad right now yeah so if that's the t- task they take I don't think they're gonna I don't think they're gonna be buyers you know when it comes to Devontae. I'm not uh, as as up on the contractual situation as other people are in terms of how it would affect the cap and and, and whatnot, but I don't think they're going to move him. I think we saw those reports last week, and I think at least for now he's a Raider. Right. I agree. I agree. I don't think that they're going to move him either. I think that you let his name float out there just in case, (laughs) right? Just in case. That's the other. You made a good point coming in. You have no idea what someone might come and offer. I mean – you float his name, and then if someone just makes you know a completely ridiculous offer to what you're going to get, then then maybe consider it. But if it's just you know, I mean, I don't know if you do. Would you do it for just one one? I mean, would would you make that deal? I I don't know. I I guess it'd have to be it depend on the team that's trading for him. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I still think it's a long shot that he gets traded. Yeah, me too. It would have to be at least a one. I mean, you gave up a one and a two just to get him. 
right? And right, so right. I would say that you would have to get at least a one. You get maybe a little bit more, but I think the biggest key is what you said. It depends on who you're trading them to because you don't want them to come back and bite you twice a year, <laughs> right? right exactly, exactly. So that's yeah, the exactly. Yeah, so that's that's the thing. Like I said, I, I threw it out there, but at the same time said it's the most likely not going to happen scenario. Uh, like you said, most likely he's a Raider. So let's go back to Soldier Field and what you saw on uh, on Sunday and. One of the things I asked Patrick Graham about today uh, in the little media session was effort and, and energy. I didn't see any on the field. What, what did you see sitting in the press box as far as effort and energy from the Raiders? It's interesting. Um, when I try to do this, it's, I always try to put myself in the player's position of to judge effort, to judge energy. It really has to be seen in space to me that there's no effort on a play. Like I was last, like back in the day when people would vote for like, best offensive lineman, best defensive lineman. I always said, well, let the coaches vote for that. They watch the film. They know who's the best players at those positions. They know who's you know giving the best effort. There were some plays, though, in space the other day, and I think you know which ones I'm talking about, mm-hmm. where the effort wasn't there, right. where you know you, you were just kind of grabbing with one arm and you, you know, you're letting guys go by you. And that's where you're like, whoa, hold on a second. Like, what happened on that play? And then you watch the replay and you go, man, there was little to no effort on that play. So – yeah, I think I think there were issues in energy and effort on those kind of plays where it was just obvious um, overall. And I asked this afterwards to uh, McDaniel's or uh, Devonte and others, um, Amik, in terms of were you ready to play? Now they did go out and get the three and out, and they did go out and drive it with uh, Daniel missing the, the uh, uh, field goal. Right. So their argument was, you know, just not since they were ready to play that there was juice, but it dissipated after that. Man, I mean, they might have been ready from the kickoff, but. It soon dissipated into that. When it got to 14 and 0, 14-0, I don't know how much energy and effort you were seeing for most of the time. Yeah, when they got to 14-0, when they were down 14-0, I looked around and thought, man, this is not a team that really is built to come back from behind, right? I mean, they're just that's just not not with, not with a backup quarterback, right? Exactly that part, and you know we can always debate back and forth who should start, who shouldn't start. It doesn't matter. Hoyer started; it wasn't good, and 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 so we know, you know, we know what it is now. And the Raiders are sitting there at three and four, and I think that if Jimmy G does miss another game, I'm sure it's probably going to be the Aiden O'Connell show. I mean, would you would you feel like it'd be any different if you saw Jimmy G out in another game? I think it's the Aiden O'Connell show after last week. I think yeah. you know. Uh, you know, you gave Hoyer the shot, uh, you know, yesterday, and you and I have talked about it. They were 3-3. Three and three. I understood the Hoyer call there. Veteran, could he bring them through a game and not lose it for them, especially because it was against the Bears? Um, you know, could you manage the game well enough to get to 4-3 and three and then have Jimmy come back, you know, in Detroit? But if for some reason this back issue holds him out again, then I think you go to the rookie at this point. I mean, what happened the other day was not good at all. Uh, Hoyer did not play well. It's not like he managed it well enough to get them a win or, you know, to, to, to even get them close. So um, if Jimmy G's out this week, I, I would I would just go to O'Connell. And, and I've got to be honest with you, from here on out, I just might make him the backup. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I, if Jimmy G's the starter, I would say, look, let's just really see what you have in the guy. I know he played against the Chargers and all that. And I know you saw him a week of practice, I think, against the Rams, right? You know, in terms yep. of, you know, having some real competition. But I, I just – I think we've seen what you have him. You knew what you had in Brian Hoyer. I think it was, uh, you know, it was defined and, and, and secured the other day of what he is at this point in his career. And I think at this point it has to be O'Connell. If it's not Jimmy G, obviously if Jimmy G's healthy, he's the guy. At what point do you feel like and what would have to happen, in your opinion, for the Raiders to say, you know what, 
It's the Aiden O'Connell Show. Let's see. Let's see. Let's give the kid a real shot and see what he's got the next five, six games. Boy, that would be what are they three and four? Um, mm-hmm. I think they'd have to really internally agree that there is no chance for the playoffs whatsoever. Um, what that record is, I mean, you know, they're they're in, you know they're in an AFC where there's going to be teams fighting for wild cards. Um, but I'm not saying that it wouldn't happen. Right. Um, if things go south here and they lose a lot of games, um, especially with the draft coming up and all these quarterbacks in the draft. Right. Um, you know, y- you do ultimately want to make a final determination on Aiden O'Connell. I don't know if you can do that in one or two games. Right. Um, and then depending on where your draft position is, if you don't know what you have in them, are you trying to draft up and get one of those top quarterbacks? Are you trying to get up and get one of those guys? Uh, because you don't think Aiden Con- O'Connell's a guy. So, what the record would be, I can't predict what the record would be, but I'll tell you what, I think if it goes south and you, you hit it on the head, I think you have to do that and, and, and see what you really have in them. And you, you can't really see what you have in them in one or two games. I mean, you got to play him and see, put him in all kinds of situations to see who he is and if he could be the guy of the future. That's exactly what I've been waiting for. And, and not that I want them to rush to go put him out there, but that's what I've been waiting for on O'Connell. Like, I won't know, and I don't think anyone will know who he is until he has five, six, seven games in a row if he's given that many games, right? But that's right. what you've got to do. You've got to see him in different situations, and that's why I think that, you know, if, if like you said, it goes south and the next five games are going to be tough, starting on, on Monday uh, with the, the Detroit Lions, that's going to be a tough yes. game, and yes. it doesn't get any easier. You've got the Giants, the Jets, the Dolphins, and the Chiefs. I mean, they haven't, even, they haven't played Kansas City yet. <laughs> right, exactly. So there's that. So it's not going to get any easier for this team at all so if you know people keep saying they want to see what he's got I said there could be a shot to see what he's got sooner rather than later if things go the wrong way and nobody's rooting for that but it's a possibility that that could happen again Ed Graney is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920 Unnecessary Roughness how surprised were you that we all knew the Bears were going to run the ball and run the ball and run the ball some more on Sunday that's how they butter their bread but the fact that they were able to do it to the tune of 173 yards and made Deontay Foreman look like a Pro Bowl running back yeah, and it helped them, and Adam had this in the paper as well today. It helped them that the Raiders uh, were credited with 10 missed tackles. Yeah. Um, I actually thought it was more. Um, I mean, they didn't tackle well at all the other day. So when that happens, it can certainly lend itself to your running game. Um, you know, and it's, it's funny. Uh, I read a, a tweet that said, you know, this is why you don't pay running backs because Dante Foreman can go out and do something like that. And there might be some credence to that. Um, it's one game, though. It's only one game, and right. you know it's the Raiders, and they, they, you know, they have trouble tackling. So I didn't put too much stock in it. But it was an interesting tweet to where you start thinking about that because you know, you know, the cliche is don't pay running backs. You right. can always find a guy. Well, maybe if they're playing the Raiders each week and the way they tackle, you can always find a guy. But maybe it doesn't work against everyone else because the Bears, you know, were one and five coming in. Right. Um, exactly. So <laughs> I, I was. I guess I was a little surprised. But when you miss that many tackles, uh, these are still NFL players, whether it's the Bears or not. He's still an NFL running back, and he's going to get his if you miss that many tackles. What did you make of uh, the performance of Tyson Bajant, uh the undrafted free agent? D2 guys has been well-documented, what he was able to do on Sunday. I mean, I give the guy a lot of credit. He is his first, is his first NFL start. He, he used his feet to make a lot of plays um, and get away from stuff. Um, I was laughing this morning on the press box. Tyler had the number that his downfield pass percentage average was a little over two yards in the air, <laughs> right. which is which is almost like, you know, he didn't even throw the ball. But, you know, a lot of those were him escaping stuff mm-hmm. and just finding the check down. And, you know, for a guy making his first start, you know, he didn't make didn't make a lot of mistakes, didn't, didn't you know, hand them the game. 
Um, you know, I don't know how good Tyson Bajan is in the long run. Right. <laughs> he'd, he'd probably have to throw down field more um, than that than that many yards. But uh, yeah, I mean, he look, he did kind of what you wanted Hoyer to do, which was manage the game and not hand it to him. Right. You know, he he kind of did like you know just don't just don't lose the game. Right. You know, you know, just don't just don't lose it. Just don't make a lot of silly throws. Just don't turn the ball over. You know, and then you know you, you rely on your defense to do its job. So you had to you have to say the kid did his job. And uh, I don't know how many more starts he's going to get. I don't have no idea about um, about the injury uh, to Fields. But uh, yeah, I uh, I thought uh, I thought he was fine for what they wanted him to do. He did exactly what they needed him to do. Yeah. He ended up getting out of there with a victory. He felt a little confident about himself after the game. He's telling the crowd to get louder and everything. I mean, he, he yeah. had a little bit of swagger by the end of the game. He was feeling himself a little bit. So I'm not mad at him getting his first career start and getting his first career win as well. Well, Ed, we'll get out with this. Um, I always feel like you learn a lot about a team when they come back from something bad, and that loss to the Bears was a bad loss. What do you expect to kind of learn from this Raiders team on Monday against the Lions? Well, you, you hit it on the head. We'll see what they're made of, although they're going to play a Lions team coming off a, a shellacking, and they're going to be angry. Yep. So the Raiders could, could go in there and play really well and still lose the game, you know, comfortably, um, depending on how the Lions play, depending on how they can bounce back from their own defeat. Um, so, you know, you always, you're right. You always learn. It's always what you saw last, and what you saw last was really bad from the Raiders. I mean, you had your star captain defensive player call it embarrassing. Now, when that happens, uh, you know how bad it was uh, when when your star when your star uses that word. Um, so, you know, I'm sure they'll try to bounce back, like you said, with energy. It's a Monday night football game. Guys get up to play on Monday night football. Uh, you don't want to look bad on Monday night football. You know, the whole country's watching. So, I'm sure they'll play hard. I don't know if that will matter or not because I think Detroit's a better team. And like I said, they're going to come in angry. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you just you just want to see, like you said, what you said in the beginning. You want to see the effort and energy. And whatever's going to happen is going to happen. But, you know, try hard and don't put stuff on film that you put on film last week where you're like, hey, are you into this game or not? Right. Yeah, that was a bad one. That was a bad – that was a lot of bad uh, performance on on film on Sunday against the Chicago Bears. Well, Ed, fantastic stuff. What are you working on that we should be on the lookout? I'm sure a lot of Raiders. And I also am sure a lot of uh, bowl-bound UNLV Rebels as well. I'm actually walking into the office right now to start a column on UNLV football, and we have a, in Sunday we have a big story on UNLV basketball. You know, yep. they're going to try to find, follow the football steps. Football hadn't been to a bowl in 10 years, and the Rebels have not been to the NCAA tournament in 10 years, so Kevin Kruger's going to try to uh, write that ship and end that drought, and we'll have something on the paper on Sunday on that. Nice. I like it. Well, I'll be on the lookout for it, man. Fantastic stuff as always, not only on the paper but also on the press box. We definitely appreciate you this afternoon. Thank you, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. All right, my man. There he goes, the great Ed Graney. Uh, Las Vegas Review Journal, and of course, ESPN Las Vegas, our sister station as well, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. on the press box with Tyler Bischoff and Ed Graney, and Danny's on there as well, doing a fine job producing in the back end of things. So uh, many thanks to Ed Graney. We definitely appreciate him. 2.46 at the time. We got John McClain coming up at 3 o'clock. Got a ton of texts that I want to get to, and we'll do it, to, we'll do it next as we close out hour number one of the show. It's Radio Nation Radio 920. Second and five from the eleven. And off Lester, straight up the middle, touchdown! Oh, what a big hole! He could drive a truck through that hole. And the Rebels get their first touchdown of the day, and they take the lead 15-13 with a point after coming up. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness. With your boy Q, broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Lester of the UNLV Rebels, Coach Odom, they said if they can't do it, nobody can. That's how they're going to get it done as they are going bowling Six wins 
and counting on the young season. I say young season because they've only lost one game, even though they're seven games in. They've only lost one, and that was to Michigan, and well, shocking, UNLV lost to Michigan. So 6-1 on the season. Coach Barry Odom's done a fantastic job, and they will be going bowling for the first time in 10 years. It's awesome. As Ed Graney, who joined us in the last segment, just pointed out, this is Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Been taking your text at 69187, keyword R&R. With the Raiders losing to the Bears on Sunday, how, in your opinion, does that affect or change their approach at the trade deadline, and what trade or trades would you make for the Raiders to improve the team long-term? That's trading players out or bringing players in. What would you do against 69187, keyword R&R, don'tbebroke.com, text line. This one's from the 707. I'm at a loss for thinking of helpful trade scenarios. Doesn't seem to matter who we'd bring in. Much like the current standouts we have, the dark cloud that's been overhead will make them suddenly average at best. And I'm with you on what is the malfunction and not being able to use Hunter. It's coaching straight up. That's from the 707. Uh, I appreciate you. And, you know, it's funny. Someone asked me, and I don't remember who it was, but I was having a conversation about well, if the Raiders were to make a trade, what would they make a trade for? And, like, how would they get better immediately? And it, I literally was stuck for a while thinking, like, there's a couple guys, like I mentioned, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Jalen Johnson, are all guys that I like and I would like to see on the team because I think they provide a lot of talent. But I just don't see one particular trade that they could make that all of a sudden makes their team immediately that much better. Like, I just, I just don't see it, which is what a lot of teams are going to try to do at the trade deadline, find that one guy that puts them from where they're at to over the top. Again, I point out the Minnesota Vikings, who I thought were going to lose to San Francisco. They did not. They beat them 22-17. to 17. I thought that they were going to lose and be 2-5 and five and immediately look to move on from a guy like a Daniil Hunter or others. And that's when I thought maybe the Raiders can go out and make a move as Daniil's on the last year of his deal. So, okay, they could make him better, help out with Tyree Wilson on the other end, have Max Crosby, and, and could kind of grow with the guy for a couple years, and that could help the team long term. But now that they're 3-4, and four, they feel like they're in the thick of things. I don't expect them to move at all. This comes from the 5-3-0. Hey, Q, Devontae is the best wide receiver the Raiders have ever had, but we aren't capable of utilizing his talents to the fullest. The biggest concern, if we trade anyone, who will be making the draft picks next year? Zig and Champ, that's from the 5-3-0. And, yeah, that's ultimately who has the final call right now. Uh, Dave Ziegler made that perfectly clear when he was hired in the introductory press conference. I don't remember who asked the question or who has the final call. We remember when John Gruden was the head coach, he was the majority. He was the guy who had the final say-so. So if I liked one guy and he liked the other, guess what? He wins that one. Well, Dave Ziegler made it known that I, I, make, the, I make the final decision. Uh, Champ Kelly, obviously, is assistant GM. He assists them well, and they get input from their head coach. Let's, like, let's not get it twisted. The head coach also gives uh, opinions on who he wants and, and you know, what he, how they can fit in the team, and the defensive coordinator does as well. How can this defensive player fit with what I'm trying to do as far as the defense? Or an offensive lineman. The offensive line coach has input. Like, everyone has input, but at the end of the day, Dave Ziegler is the guy that's calling the shots. Uh, this one's from the 707. I don't think it's about what you can get for Renfro. It's about not having to pay him next season and freeing that money for a player that may actually they may actually use. That's from the 707. That's a really good point. That is a really good point because, again, they are paying him, and they're not getting a whole lot of anything out of him. Again, I mean, a season high catches he had on Sunday, two. Right? I mean, that tied, that tied for the season high, two. That's just not going to get it done. Not a guy with that kind of caliber player. You know what he could provide to the table. There's a handful of teams across the league. He could be at least a really good number two wide receiver. Not necessarily number one, but for sure a number two. John McClain joins the show next. Kickoff hour number two. It's Radio Nation Radio 920. And thank you so much for listening to the podcast version of Unnecessary Roughness here on LVSportsNetwork.com. Brought to you by Porta Subs.